Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the Sports Virus Podcast, everybody. I'm Joe Castellano. Well, today's guest is a columnist in San Francisco who I always enjoy reading. Uh, He's so clever and always uh, makes me chuckle when I read his columns. Of course, he's very knowledgeable as well. Scott Osler, the longtime columnist with the San Francisco Chronicle, is our guest today. And here's the conversation we had on Monday. Well, Scott, the biggest event of the year is complete, and the Los Angeles Rams have won the Super Bowl. What were your impressions of the Super Bowl? And by the way, thanks a lot for for joining me to talk about it. Uh, you know, that, that's a city where you lived and worked for a long time, so I, I would ma- imagine that there were some emotions about watching the Super Bowl being played there. Yeah, it was kind of fun. I, I grew up in L.A. I was born and raised in L.A., <laughs> and I've only been in the Bay Area last 30 years, so I feel like I'm kind of a Bay Area guy, but uh, yeah, it was it was fun. In fact, I, it took me back to the first Super Bowl, which was, what year was that, 67 or whatever it was? Yeah. And it was, it was in, in Los Angeles, the Coliseum, and uh, it was blacked out on TV in Los Angeles. But, Crazy. Uh, I was, there was a radio station, a rock and roll radio station in Los Angeles that said, hey, if you want to get the Super Bowl, if you want to beat the blackout, We've got a kit to show you how to make a special antenna for your roof <laughs> to bring the Super Bowl in. So I, I went and got one, got the instructions, and you just used a couple of coat hangers and a broomstick and stuff like that and stick the thing up in your roof and hook it up to your TV, and, and you got the uh, Super Bowl telecast. It was very snowy, and <laughs> it, was, it was far from high def, but uh, I pirated the first Super Bowl. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, yeah, things have changed, and uh, you know now everybody's watching it on a big screen TV. And yeah. one, one of the things you pointed out in your column, writing about the game, is that there they are in L.A. with great weather, and they don't have real grass. And then there's an injury to Odell Beckham, uh, where you wonder if that could be avoided because they're playing on that kind of, uh, as you said, green concrete. Uh, and, and it's something that we've seen even with the 49ers a couple of years ago when they had those injuries. New York. Uh, yeah, New York. It's just it's kind of baffling when you think about it that you could just have a regular, beautiful grass field. Yeah. Maybe you could make a case for in New York for the difficulty of growing grass in, in that, that time of year and all that stuff. But yeah. In a, in a warm weather place like Los Angeles, it's crazy. It's an open-air stadium. The sun shines in. They're able to close it off. I don't know the technology and all that stuff, but... Yeah, there's plenty of sunshine. It's just, uh, as far as I know, it's never been explained, but as far as I know, it's just a matter of expense. You know, it's cheaper to have that stuff. You don't have to pay people to mow it and and water it and all that stuff. But, uh, you know, and and you notice, uh, you probably saw, Joe, that immediately afterwards, uh, Nick Bosa and George Kittle both tweeted out, you know, we got to do something about this stuff, this grass, because they say it's like playing on concrete. Yeah. You know, this huge, massively expensive game, people are paying $5,000 a ticket, and and in a in a billion dollar stadium, a multi billion dollar stadium, and and we can't play it on grass, so that yeah. that kind of took a little bit off off the luster. Yeah, and you know, one of the stars of the game goes out, but yeah. the Rams still win. I mean, basically on that last drive for the Rams, it was one receiver. It's Cooper Cup, <laughs> and it's Stafford throwing it to him. And even Chris Collinsworth said something about how you know that that was the best that he'd ever seen as far as one quarterback. One receiver, and I think that raised a lot of eyebrows yeah. here in the Bay Area. With you know, thinking about Joe Montana, Jerry Rice. Although yeah. on the, on that last drive against the Bengals, I mean, he used he mixed it up. He used different receivers, and even the game winning touchdown was John Taylor. Yeah, yeah, but still, uh, yeah, I think Collinsworth had just had a momentary lapse. You know, I'm sure, <laughs> slapped himself in the forehead later. Wait, wait a minute, in the heat of the moment, but uh, yeah, that was pretty special. I just you wonder if the Bengals shouldn't have said, 
you know, we're just going to have four guys on Cooper Cup every time because <laughs> yeah. he, he, they're going to throw to him. They're just going to throw to him, and we, we've got to stop him. But that's crazy how one guy can, you know, it's so so typical that uh, if there's a guy like that, you take him away. You double tip, du- double him or triple him, and uh, but there's just no stopping the guy all season long. Nobody found a cure for Cooper Cup. No. You know, you wonder when Kyle Shanahan is watching that game what he might learn from it because I you said something about how uh, you know it's a passing league and and you could see that you know the passing was so important and another thing I thought Scott was that you have both coaches not afraid to go for it on fourth down and that's something that Shanahan did not do in that NFC Championship game when he had that fourth and two and he didn't go for it. Uh, you know, you wonder if he maybe he doesn't say that publicly, but maybe in the future he might think about that. Yeah, maybe. Although that seems to be kind of his mindset. He's not a, a wild, uh, not that that's that wild anymore, but not that much of a, like a free swinger or a, a crazy gambler like that. I guess he considers that a crazy gamble. But uh, and the first one yesterday backfired. But still, the the thought is there that you know I always look at it this way, Joe. That if I've got fourth and one uh, in whatever situation, I wonder what the opposition wants me to do. Yeah, and and in. You know, in most cases, the opposition is, is saying, "Oh, please kick it." We don't want you to go for it because to get a yard in the NFL, it's it's not that hard. Your odds are with you, so please kick the ball. So <laughs> I would not kick the ball in most of those situations. It's a good way That's to look not at Kyle, it, yeah. but maybe Kyle is, you know, maybe his thinking is shifting. Who knows? That's a good way to look at it. I mean, I always look at it that if you have enough faith in your offense, you should think that you could get that yard. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, sometimes it's risking a lot if you're way back in your own territory, but, yeah. you know, that's neither here nor there. Uh, you know, you made a comment, too, in your column about Stafford not being perfect when he threw that interception and, you know, Jimmy G maybe looking at that and, and being in an unfair situation where, you know, it, it's hard to be perfect, as, as you said. Yeah. Uh, that was a difficult situation that Jimmy G was in all season. Yeah, and and it's funny because towards the end of the season we saw that uh, with a lot of great quarterbacks. You know, Patrick Mahomes had had troubles. He struggled at times, and uh, Dak Prescott and uh, you know these guys who are supposedly infallible. They made mistakes, and yeah, and so you know, and in some ways we're too hard on Jimmy, but but he he did uh, in the final analysis. You know, he did have some problems in, at other key spots, and and yesterday when when. Matthew Stafford needed to make those throws right on the money in those little tight windows. You know, he made them. Uh, and some some guys do that. It's a rare talent. It's, it's more than just being able to throw or being strong or anything. It's just a certain gift for being a quarterback. Yeah, and I don't think Jimmy G's one of the top, you know, obviously not the top five or ten quarterbacks in the league, but he did win a lot. And it's interesting when you think about the alternative right now because you're going to Trey Lance, who, you know, all – all things considered, uh, he, he doesn't have enough experience. He's got a lot of uh, talent, of course, right. but it's going to be interesting to see. And, and you wrote about how Joe Montana and Steve Young both have, have talked about this. Uh, Montana was you know, in the news quite a bit for saying that he doesn't think Lance is ready for that starting job. Yeah, yeah. We're always going to debate it. And there's, with quarterbacks, there's never any winning debate. You know, Who's a better quarterback, Joe or Steve, or any of the debates. And so much... So much of it, we always make it just a simplistic thing. Like he's not a very good quarterback, you know. J- Jimmy Garoppolo is just not that great a quarterback, and and so much of it is tied into who he's surrounded by and, and what kind of um, what kind of coaching he is, what kind of offense he's he's put in, and stuff like that. So we never really know, but we we make these grand judgments anyway. It's it's interesting when if you watch the Joe Montana documentary, you see that he, I mean he's still bitter about that whole uh, situation that he had to deal with with Steve Young. 
Yeah, I haven't watched that. Is that is that pretty good? It's really good. Right. <laughs> yeah, there's six six episodes. You'll have to watch it. But but yeah, it's it's interesting to think that you know Steve Young is saying that uh, the 49ers should have replaced Garoppolo with Lance during the season. Now, I don't know if yeah. I agree with that. What did you think about that? I do agree with that. Oh, okay. And my thinking is, and I've been wrong before, is that the guy showed promise, and then that's that's why they drafted him, and they knew that the only way he's ever going to get ready for. NFL to be a regular quarterback is to be a quarterback and to learn on the job. And I understand that at some point they decide, okay, it's not going to be this this year. But to my way of thinking, uh, you know, Grappolo, those 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 moments he had, those Jimmy moments where he'd throw the, the terrible interception or something like that, that Lance would have had some of those same moments. And he, and he didn't briefly when he was playing in, in moments. So he would have had some of those same moments, but there also would have been moments where he would have done things that Jimmy could not do, cannot do, you know, as far as scrambling, as far as getting loose, not necessarily running, but being elusive and being able to escape pressure and all that stuff. And that it's, to me, it's at least possible that Trey Lance had even playing, I don't know, let's say from midseason or been playing situationally or whatever, would have, uh, would have done some serious developing, would have done some really good things this season, this past season. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's a, it was a tough one because they knew they had a team that could go far, right. did go far, went to the NFC Championship. Yeah. But now when you go to next year and Lance doesn't have much experience, he only started two games, right. how difficult is that going to be? Well, it'll be hard. I, I just think it's – I you know, he probably did benefit some, despite what Steve Young said. Trey Lance probably did benefit some from, from practice, watching he ran the scout team. I know he picked up a lot of things. Uh, he said he did, and he – gave specifics that, yeah, he did develop this year, not as much as had he played, but uh, I think it's going to be okay. That's that's the curve for any quarter, any young quarterback, any rookie quarterback, which is what he's going to be basically next year as a rookie. You know, everybody's got to break in. And Patrick Mahomes sat for, what, one year or was it two? I guess it was one behind that. It was one, yeah. Yeah. And uh, and he they threw him in there. He was young and and new at some point, and just had to work through all that stuff. That's that's what you got to do. <clears throat> Either that, or you just go with you know veteran quarterbacks forever. Right, and, and this is they gave up a lot to get him. So uh, you know, see how that all plays out with the San Francisco Forty Nine ers. What about what about Tom Brady retiring and and Joe Montana again getting in the news a little bit because he said he thought he was crazy that you know Brady's crazy to retire right now. I don't know if he's crazy after all <laughs> those seasons. But it does seem like he has, you know, more left in the tank. Yeah, and Joe probably has more insight into that situation than any of us do because I'm, I'm guessing I didn't see his full quotes or anything, but I'm guessing Joe's thinking, "Man, I wish I would I could have kept playing because I I love playing quarterback and you know and, and, St- and I think Steve feels the same way. There's nothing that can ever replace it if you've been to that level, like a Joe and Steve Super Bowl level and and Hall of Fame performance level." <coughs> There's nothing that can ever ever replace the thrill of just going out there on a Sunday. No matter what you do, you can be rich and famous, and it, you can't get that back. And, and to see Tom Brady walk away from it, they were thinking, man, you know, if Steve didn't have the concussions and Joe didn't have the everything else wrong with him, they would have for sure kept at it. 
Speaking of that thrill, I want to switch gears and talk about the Golden State Warriors and Clay Thompson because, you know, when he first came back, it was pretty obvious that he wasn't ready. I mean, he, you know, he was working his way back in. But that yeah. last game against the Lakers, man, he looked like the Clay Thompson of all the way he was drilling those threes. And uh, he's never had a lack of confidence for it. But now it seems like, uh, you know, he's sort of building on what he really wanted to do this year when he came back. Yeah, that was so much fun to watch, man. Just the the confidence. Although, you know, even the, his first night back, he had confidence. He was he was drilling threes from the beginning. I mean, he just didn't have his shape and his timing and all that stuff quite back. But he, as he's getting that back, he just seen the old clay. And in some ways, maybe the best clay ever. You know, maybe he might be. He's he's mature. He's in a great age. He's uh, he's been rested for two years, and and it's fantastic to watch, man. He just it kind of flashed me back to. To, to me, the favorite clay moment was that in Oklahoma City in two, was it 2016 when he had that phenomenal game. Yeah, against the Thunder, and it just that that was just one of one of the great performances I've ever seen in sports. But yeah, to see him back and, and what you know to me, it's clay is a little bit like Steph. We've seen him for all these years, and still, when you're around him, you look at him and you think, you know, what's the big deal? The guy, he's, he's he just doesn't look like a great tough crazy have like a LeBron James or something like that so he always fools you you know it's like okay Clay's kind of a, a quiet unassuming guy and he just comes out roaring and just uh hitting the daggers threes with under under super pressure and just man it's so much fun to watch it's, it's, to me it's just delightful to watch those guys oh yeah and that was like a playoff game the other day uh yeah, you know, yeah Steph Steph has definitely not been himself as far as the three-point shooting I think he'll get it back I mean but I guess people don't expect NBA players to ever have a slump. It's sort of like in baseball. You always think, yeah, there are going to be slumps. But in basketball, uh, I don't think people expect it. But, you know, he's just been going through a, a tougher time shooting the threes. Yeah, it's a mystery. And I I still don't know if we know or if he knows maybe what, what's going wrong. Because, uh, it's, it, it, it was a pretty prolonged slump. We're used to seeing Steph have a couple days, one game off or maybe two games off. But that was a kind of, that's been a kind of a rough patch for him. But, uh, and you know, we always wonder: Is he getting old? Is he has time finally caught up with him? But although physically, you know, he seems to be really at, at the, the top of his game, absolutely for his career, he's probably in as good a shape and as strong and everything as, he, as he's ever been in his life. So, so that's not not really a, an excuse. Maybe there's a small injury or something like that. But uh, uh, you know, I think we all have faith in Steph. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like Buster. I used to always write with about Buster. I'd say, as Buster goes, so go the Giants. You know, if you if you didn't have Buster, you just weren't going to win, go to the World Series and win it. And it's the same with Steph. It's just uh, if he's on, they're just they're they're going to keep going. How much do you think the Warriors miss Draymond Green? Oh, tremendous! It's just amazing. You know when they put, the Lakers are not a good team right now they're kind of in disarray yeah and so when the Warriors beat them the other night it shouldn't it should not have been a big triumph although but they kind of treated it like it was and partly because it's L A and it's a dramatic win and all that stuff but part of it is they're showing we can win NBA games even without Draymond Green that's how much they they value him and he's just so so much of part it's it's funny because when you think about it it's only been was it last year, especially two years ago when their team was down, and people were saying, you know, Draymond, and he wasn't playing that well. And they were saying, it's time to get rid of him. It's time to unload that stiff. And, <laughs> and he's, can you imagine that? It's because he's such a vital part of the deal right now, man. 
Yeah. Well, the one thing it's done is uh, with him being out, it's opened up playing time for Jonathan Kaminga, yeah. and the world is finding out what kind of talent this guy is at the age of 19. I know. He's, he's stunning people. I think he's even stunning Steve Kerr and the guys. And, uh, and you're right about that, that injury being, you know, Draymond's injury being fortuitous. And, and the Warriors are kind of famous for that. You go back to even to go back to when Draymond was, I think it was his second year, and uh, it was Steve Kerr's first year. And it might have been Draymond's third year, but I think it was his second year. But uh, when uh, uh, David David uh, Lee got hurt, yeah, in preseason, and that opened the door for Draymond. Draymond had been playing some, and he eventually would have played into a bigger role. But he was thrust into that role right away. And what they win the first twenty six games or whatever it was, some ridiculous thing. They just they just took off and became a force of nature. And it was a lot of it had to do with Draymond. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's definitely a valuable player now. When you think about Steve Kerr's job here in the second part of the season, if he does get James Wiseman back, that's going to be interesting trying to integrate him into the lineup. Yeah, you know, that's I, I, I won't say I, I spend a lot of time worrying, but that's if I was a, a warrior or a warrior coach or something like that, that's something that would concern me. I, I think he's the X factor, James Wiseman. I think, uh, you know, he's been somewhat of a disappointment, uh, not just the injuries, but you. you the thing about uh, James is his defense has been a problem and his passing. And if you think about the Warriors, that's two of the keys to their whole success, right. not just Steph shooting and Clay shooting. It's been, that hard, it's been the really smart defense and the good passing, and he's not been a standout in either one of those areas. And they're, I think they're worried that, you know, we can't just throw the guy away. He's not a G-leaguer that we picked up on a minimum contract. we gotta, we got to find out if this guy can really play, and the only way to do that is to play him, and and I think they're not sure if he can play. I, yeah. I, don't, I think they're not sure, really. I think they're hopeful, and they've seen more than you and I have because they, they see him in practice and everything. But I, I think there's some doubt whether he can be a, a warrior, quality, <laughs> big-game player. Yeah, that's going to be If he can, though, my God, think about that with, with his physical skills. Because I wrote about this recently, but how much more, more physically talented the Warriors are this year than maybe they've been in, even in the last seven years. Yeah, I mean, if you think about him and Kaminga together and the physical yeah. skills they, they could display on the court together, that, that yeah. really is enticing. Yeah, throw that in with a Gary Payton and with, and with Wiggins. Wiggins is a, is a, a freakish, mm-hmm. freakish, freakishly talented athlete. Yeah. Forget about a basketball player, just a great athlete. And you know, It's funny, I was talking to Kerr probably about five or six days ago, did a little interview with him, and he was just saying with Kaminga, he says what what he, he says what I keep telling him just just sprint the court both ways all the time, just sprint the court. If because if he sprints the court, guys can't keep keep up with him, and at some point you know he's going to get the fast break points. He's going to be back on defense and and have the blocks, and you're starting to see that. You know, I said in the game there was one point where he just he beat everybody down and Steph found him for a uh, you know a fast break layup, and it was just I thought, there it is. That's what Kerr's talking about. Just sprint the court. The, the, the guy listens. Kaminga listens. He just he's, seems to be very coachable. And man, just I think he's opened up a lot of eyes. Yeah, no, and, and that's a great move because you could see it. You could see him running up and down the floor, and that's really yeah. helping out the Warriors for sure. Yeah. So we don't have baseball now, Scott, obviously. I don't know when we're going to have yeah. baseball, if we're going to have baseball, but we yeah. do know we're not going to have the designated hitter, which for me I was disappointed. I still like to see the, the pitcher get up there at least in one of the leagues, but we're not going to have that anymore. What would you think? Well, I think you're in the majority, Joe, for sure. I think uh, especially in the 
not that you're an old guy, but especially in the uh, more veteran baseball watchers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, like my buddy Bruce Jenkins and, and Susan Slesser and all those, my fellow sports writers, I think a lot of them would like to see the, the, the you know, keep the DH out of the NL, but I've always kind of been the other way. I just, I want to see hitters hit when it's time to hit. I don't want to see a nice rally going, and all of a sudden some guy gets up there who's just flailing at the ball and hitting 089 and <laughs> has two lucky singles in his entire career. <laughs> just everything comes to a screeching halt. And, and to, you know, I made the point briefly in a little thing we had the other day with sports writers in our paper that um, that the pitchers themselves, you know, they talk about, oh, I want to still hit. I don't take the, don't take the bat out of my hands. But the only time those guys really practice is that they'll take a few swings the day they're going to start, or situationally. Yeah. But you don't see them really work at it. You know, it's, if, if it's important enough that you want to do it, you should get out there and take some BP every day, hit off a tee every day, or swing, or take, get some coaching and stuff. And they, it's, to me, it's treated, pitchers hitting is treated like such a little frivolous thing. Ah, oh, I go out and take a couple swings and get loose. Why not get in the cage and work at it? Yeah. Like you don't see guys do it. No. Even, <laughs> yeah. It, even Bumgarner, I remember he was uh, always kind of, yeah, I don't, I don't really care. I just get up there and whack away. But. <laughs> I was going to say there aren't that many Bumgarners. That's the problem. No. I mean, he was pretty yeah. exciting when he did get in the box. Exactly, yeah. But when you think about it, the only reason he was exciting is because he could occasionally run into a fastball. And he was, you know, semi-legitimate as a hitter, but he was still only, what, a, he probably hit 210 or something. and, and <laughs> But, yeah, he had yeah. some power and everything. But, but even he, if... He was a normal player. He'd come up and you'd think, "Oh boy, here comes Bumgarner. He's he's not that great a hitter." But uh, <laughs> yeah. so I'm, I won't. Uh, I'll, I'm okay with the DA, universal DH. I know it's gimmicky, but it's now it's worldwide, and and you know it's to me it's time to move on. Sorry, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Hate to ruin your party. No, but. no, it's okay. We'll we'll move on from it and right. uh, and get used to it. You know, it's interesting. Barry Bonds would have probably hooked up with a na- national league team. Who knows? I mean, you yeah. know, the whole American League passed on him, but he was passed over for the Hall of Fame at least for now until it goes to the the uh, Veterans Committee. Uh, what were your thoughts about Bonds, Clemens, and those guys not getting in, and a guy like David Ortiz getting in? Yeah. Well, first of all, go, leading up to the vote, I really kind of wrestled with it, and then. And, you know, for years we've always debated it, but the, due to a technicality, and I haven't figured out what it was, I, I was never given a Hall of Fame vote until this year. So this year was the first year I voted for the Hall of Fame. And so I had to give it some real, some real thought because I thought, you know, if, if Barry is close, maybe my vote will turn out to be the deciding vote. And, yeah. And I was kind of conflicted because I don't like cheaters and I don't want to reward cheaters. And as a parent, I don't want to have to <clears throat> explain to my my kids who are now grown, but I don't want to have to say, uh, yeah, Barry cheated, but he's rewarded with the Hall of Fame. And they were saying, well, what's that about? I thought you're not supposed to cheat. So I was conflicted. And in the end, I figured I just, there were too many gray areas and, and too many people that were doing steroids back then. And I figured I just can't, it's not possible for a guy like me to sort it all out. So I'm just going to vote for the guys who performed. And I wound up voting for Bonds and, and, Basically, the, this what we want to call the steroid guys, and I was okay with that. Um, but then the vote came down, and David Ortiz got in, and Barry didn't, and that really, really bothered me. I, I might never vote again for the Hall of Fame because the the thing I've always had pride in in our profession, and our sports writers and sportscasters too, all of the, the sports writers who vote, is that 
people say, oh, you guys just don't vote for Barry because you didn't like him, because he, was he, he wasn't nice to you. And I tell people, I've told people for years, I said, he wasn't nice to us, but that's not a consideration when it comes to Hall of Fame voting, because we're not a bunch of petty kids who hold little grudges because a player wouldn't talk to us or because right. he snarled at us or right. something like that. And I, and I really believe that. And I certainly would never withhold a vote because a guy snubbed me or was rude to me or anything like that. I'd figure, okay, he's a jerk, but he was a great player. And what I saw with the David Ortiz vote is, is sports writers kind of voting on a personality basis. And David Ortiz was a great guy or an ambassador to the game or whatever. And for him to get in and Barry Bonds not to get in, to me that was a travesty. Yeah, I mean, you know what my thing is, Scott, about this whole thing is that you have to take out the character sportsmanship clause. If you if you yeah. take that out of there, it just makes it a lot easier for the voters because let's face it, I mean, half of the guys in the Hall of Fame probably didn't pass that test anyway. I mean, right. I, I just don't know why that's still in there. Yeah, well, even but even so, even if you take that out, you got sports writers who voted for David Ortiz uh, because he's a good guy because. Yeah. They, you know, he, when you talk about character, he might have what some people would consider great character, but he also, I think there's evidence that he did steroids. And, you know, he supposedly flunked that one anonymous test. And, and, you know, anecdotally, if you look at his stats and everything, you could build a case that, hey, David Ortiz might have been dabbling too. So, to me, it, the, the voters just voted on personality. They voted because they liked the guy. And they didn't like Barry. And, and that, that really kind of bothered me. That that saddened me that yeah. our guys would do that. Yeah, and I, and I understand, like, in the past, you could look at integrity and sportsmanship and all that. But when you're talking about this being so cloudy, I yeah. mean, you know, and putting it on writers to decide, I, yeah. I, I don't think that's fair. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. No, I think it, it's uh, – but the system is broken, and, and the players have themselves to blame, too, because it wasn't just bearing in a few guys. There were a lot of guys – to me, Joe, there were a lot of guys that were – doing steroids, we know that, but even the guys that weren't doing them who were supposedly put at a disadvantage by the steroid users were not complaining. There were very few. Jeff Kent was one player who spoke up and said, we got to do something about the steroids. we got to weed these guys. we gotta, we got to test. we got to have stronger testing. And most of the guys just kept shut and, and through the players' union did not support testing and therefore kind of condoned cheating and and. Kind of, they were aiders and abettors of the cheaters by their silence and by not speaking out. By the way, is there one time where something sticks out uh, about interacting with Barry Bonds? Uh, because I think a lot of writers they have some kind of story uh, about dealing with him, whether it's you know good or bad. But anything that sticks out about your time covering him? Uh, <laughs> I can remember a few times. I think he's, he got. He carried this to an art, Joe. It was the making the writers wait <laughs> and, at, his, at his locker. And to me, it was always great theater. Although I'd be, a lot of times I'd be in deadline, I'd be very nervous, so I couldn't truly enjoy it in the moment. But <laughs> you wait for Barry for the post-game quotes. And he'd, he'd come out, and he'd sit down in his locker, and then he'd kind of look as he'd glance up. He'd never make eye contact. He would never actually acknowledge that there were 12 people waiting to talk to him. <laughs> And then he would, and then he'd wander off to the shower, and then he'd come back 20 minutes later, and he'd sit there, and he'd pick up some bats, and he'd, he'd start fiddling with them and, and, you know, working the bats. And, and he would just make it into this, this spectacle of <laughs> waiting for Barry. And then finally, you know, he'd kind of look up, and he'd begrudgingly answer a few questions in his 
curmudgeonly way. <laughs> and one, one moment that stands out, we're at Dodger Stadium, was during his record chase. And yeah. So some of the guys like me were kind of following him around a little bit. Okay, he's going to break the record, so we'll find out down to Los Angeles in case he breaks it down I there. was there. I was there with yeah. Sirius XM, yeah. And you remember that, you know, the at the time, it's been redone, I think, but the visitor's clubhouse is very small. Oh, yeah. It's like being inside a submarine or something, almost. <laughs> yes. For such a great stadium, it's a tiny visitor's clubhouse. And there were, I don't know, there must have been 30 of us, <laughs> let's say roughly 30 of us, that wanted to talk to Barry pregame. And so we're waiting, and the word came, okay, Barry's going to talk to you guys pregame, but didn't say where, where, when or anything, where or when. And so we all kind of gathered in the clubhouse, and the other Giants are trying to get ready for the game and trying to get dressed and do their pregame prep and everything. And there's these 30 or so writers and, and media people in there, and Barry's in there. We're waiting for Barry, and, and all he had to do was say, hey, guys, I'll meet you outside in 10 minutes. And everybody would have left and given right. the Giants their clubhouse back. But Barry didn't have, forget about the courtesy to us, he didn't have the courtesy to his teammates to get this huge throng of sports writers and sportscasters and everything out of the clubhouse. And so he just did the thing, made his weight. Then he <laughs> finally wandered out to the dugout, and we all followed him out there. <laughs> that was Barry right there in a nutshell. Yeah. You're right about that. Yeah, but rude to us and to his teammates. Yeah, exactly. So to finish up, Scott, uh, we lost a member of the media, uh, Jeremy Kahn, this yeah. past week passed away. Great guy. He was always around the press box. Uh, he was gathering sound in the clubhouse and, and writing about the teams in the Bay Area, the Giants, the 49ers, the Warriors. Uh, we all loved him because he would always come up with a smile and just kind of that little giggle that he had. Uh, and I don't know how well you knew him, but it's really sad to, to lose somebody like that. It was just such a, a positive person to have around in the press box. Super positive, Jeremy, and and a good guy, and he didn't seem that old. How, how old was Jeremy? I think he was 50. Yeah, he just, well, I guess, to me that's young. But, uh, yeah. It, it is young. And it's sad because uh, I had kind of a connection with him from L.A. He knew a lot about the Lake, old Lakers. I, I was, you know, as I said, born and raised in L.A., and I covered the Lakers down there for the L.A. Times and stuff. And Jeremy was knew all that scene really well, and and. and we had a mutual friend, and so we always talked. He always went out of his way to say hi, and we'd chat, and we'd chat about the old Lakers and about Chick Hearn, the old announcer, and we had, you know, we just really, it was just always fun to run into Jeremy. Always totally positive, upbeat, friendly, likable guy, and uh, just, as you know, there's a lot of nice people in the press box. Where there's a lot of good people, but Jeremy was just uh it was just a bright light, you know. It's that cliche, but you just look forward to kind of seeing him and saying hi to him in the press box, and and now he's gone. So rest in peace, buddy. Yeah, I mean, same from here. I, yeah, I was just stunned about it because I really loved Jeremy. He was a good guy yeah. to be around and, and talk sports with. Well, yeah. Scott, I, I really enjoyed uh, catching up with you here, and uh, look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you so much. All right, Joe. Hey, thanks for calling me. Appreciate it. That's Scott Osler from the San Francisco Chronicle. Join us again next week for another edition of the Sports Virus Podcast. For now, I'm Joe Castellano. Thanks for listening on the Believe Podcast Network. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.